me feel like I'm a part of something bigger. My favorite business show. Hands down the best B2B sales and marketing podcast. The ultimate resource for salespeople. George makes me want to conquer local. An authentic entertainer. Conquer Local with Vendasta. Here's George Leaf. This is the Conquer Local podcast, a show about billion-dollar sales leaders, marketers leading local economic growth, and entrepreneurs that have created their dream organizations. They want to share their secrets, giving you the distilled version of their extraordinary feats. Our hope is, with the tangible takeaways from each episode, you can rewire, rework, and reimagine your business. I'm George Leith, and on this episode, we welcome Hassan Osman. Hassan leads virtual teams in delivering large and complex programs for strategic customers in the Americas region. He also did research at Harvard University related to virtual teams, and he holds a master's degree in management from Carnegie Mellon and Harvard. Prior to working at Cisco, he was a management consultant at Ernst & Young, where he helped business leaders and executives at Fortune 500 companies run their programs more effectively. Hassan is the author of Amazon best-selling books about team management and his latest book, Hybrid Work Management, How to Manage a Hybrid Team in the New Workplace, is due out soon. Influencing virtual teams, don't reply all, effective delegation of authority, project kickoff, write your book on the side, and a bunch of other great books have been written by this prolific author. We're going to be speaking to Hassan Osman, our guest this week on the Conquer Local podcast when we return. Welcoming Hassan Osman on the show this week. Hassan, welcome to the Conquer Local podcast. Hey, George. Thanks so much for having me. Well, we're excited to learn about all of the great content that you've been producing. Um, you know, it's interesting. Your hobby is writing these actionable books, and uh, it, it's different than your day job. So maybe we should talk a little bit about that, because I did mention your day job in the intro. So maybe we could talk about that and, and your, uh, your book writing that you're doing. Yeah, absolutely. So um, my day job is a PMO or Program Management Office Director at Cisco Systems where I lead a team of senior program managers on uh, delivering complex IT programs. And one thing, George, I always want to mention is that these are my own and not those of Cisco. So I always want to be clear that I'm not representing uh, my company here. But as you kindly mentioned, yes, my hobby uh, is writing books on the side. Um, drives my wife crazy sometimes. But to me, it's this therapeutic uh, time that I spend sitting down and writing. I absolutely love teaching. I absolutely love putting together my thoughts on uh, paper. Well, and how did you stumble into writing eight books? Like what, what was the, when the first book came out, what happened that led you to, to stepping into being an author? Yeah, great question. You know, it's hard for me to remember. This was back in like 2014. I think it stems from the love of teaching what I know and trying to simplify uh, concepts that I learn in my day-to-day -day, um, job as a manager. And I think uh, my focus being writing short books for busy managers was sort of scratching my own itch. So I love reading books. I'm a voracious reader, but I don't have time to spend, you know, reading four or 500 pages just to get like the 50 pages worth of meat. So I decided to, hey, why don't I start writing short books that I like to read uh, and that have helped me in terms of their content. 
Well, I, I'm always excited to find content that is too long, didn't read. It's what it sounds like. This is TLDR. <laughs> You're like, let's get right to the action. The, um, the email etiquette, I, I got to bring this up at the beginning because we're writing more emails than ever. Some of them are being read. Some are not being read. And you've got a very interesting take on email etiquette in your don't reply all book. Can we start with that? Yeah, absolutely. So Don't Reply All is a book with a collection of 18 email tactics that really help everyone write better emails to improve communication within their team. So if you are in a corporation and you work with three or more team members via email, then this is really going to help you improve the quality of the emails that you write. And uh, you mentioned TLDR. That's one of the tips in the book, right? Write emails that are five sentences or less. And, you know, one of my pet peeves is 17 paragraphs with a call to action in paragraph 12 buried somewhere uh, <laughs> with a question or something you need from someone, right? So really trending towards going for fewer sentences in your emails because people don't have time to read. They only scan emails these days. I was in a debate yesterday with a with a colleague around this. I'd love to get your take on this then. When I've made or built a relationship with somebody and we're working actively on a project, do I really need to write an introduction, have a beautiful body in there? Or is it okay that I just get right to the point uh, because I've already established the relationship? What's your take on that? Yeah, definitely the latter, George. I would say get right to the point. I think every recipient is going to thank you for it. It's not going to waste their time guessing what exactly is the point of your email. And it just minimizes the back and forth, right? So one of the things I actually mentioned in the book is this concept of three W's. So if you work in a team and you need um, to assign tasks to someone, you're a project manager, then focus on the three W's, the who, the what, and the when, right? So who do you need to do something, a specific person, what is it that you want and when do you need it by, right? So very simple and a, and a clear bullet point and uh, you're going to get some really uh, uh, great cool points from your recipients and your team. We mentioned in the intro about the nine books and we want to specifically talk about book number nine, which thank you for sending the manuscript through. I had to, I had to read through it. It's great. Hybrid work management, how to manage a hybrid team in the new workplace. And we're going to spend a lot of time on that. And I'd love to, I'd love to hear from you at a high level. What's, you know, what's the book all about? Yeah. So post COVID, um, nearly every organization I got a taste of what remote work feels like, uh, and they wanted to return back to the office. But every organization uh, realized that, well, it's probably not going to go back to pre-COVID times where everyone's in the office from nine to six. And so the, uh, the world shifted to a hybrid work model where it's a combination of working on site and remotely. And the book is basically about how do you transition into that and how do you manage a hybrid team in this new workplace, right? In this new way of working, because it is still foreign to a lot of organizations. Well, and, and it continues to come up when I'm working with organizations they're talking about in their quarterly business reviews. It's still one of their major challenges. So we're, we're a long way from figuring this out. And I, I find it in any of the, the companies that I'm working with today, that management of the hybrid team um, is a really important component. Now, in, in that, what you call phase three, managing the hybrid team, you've come up with some tactics and some concepts to help with this very important component. So let's unpack those. 
Absolutely. And just to clarify, it's a four-step process. So it's analyze, plan, manage, and evaluate. So it's a simple framework uh, to, to manage your hybrid team. And then with step three, which is to manage your team, there's uh, a lot that goes on there, right? Because that's where you're going to spend most of your time uh, in terms of managing and leading uh, your hybrid team. And there's a few tips that uh, are going to help you out. Uh, one is top of mind to manage fairly and avoid uh, what's called a two-tier system. So uh, the top priority, George, of a, of a hybrid leader is really to make sure that all employees are treated fairly. And what I mean by that is that hybrid models could create uh, a two-tier system of first-class versus second-class employees. In other words, two different employee experiences where those who spend more time in the office are treated as first-class and those who spend more time remotely as second-class and, and those might feel left out or that they're missing out uh, on opportunities. So you want to make sure that you avoid that potential leadership bias and, and favoritism um, by constantly emphasizing inclusion, right? So, and, and this is sort of a recurring point in the hybrid work management field is to make sure that fairness is front and center um, and, and while you're managing your team. You know, it's funny when you look at the data, sometimes I, I've found organizations have been saying, hey, we've been doing this remote thing or maybe doing a hybrid thing for the last two and a half years, three years. And it seems like all the remote people leave. And I'm like, it's a self-fulfilling prophecy. You haven't set up a system for them to feel included on the calls. So now they're just a talking head that usually doesn't get a chance to participate. So you're calling this out and thank you for doing that. Because I find a lot of times when people go, yeah, remote doesn't work. Hybrid doesn't work. They just end up leaving. It's like, what? Well, it's the way you set it up. Absolutely. It's really in the details. And you want to make sure that uh, the mechanism and the the planning of a hybrid work arrangement has to factor in uh, taking care of your employees and really understanding or, or, or setting the guidelines of what does work-life balance actually mean and building that culture, which can be really, really tough. And how do you position tracking to, so, that it, so that it's not like Big Brother? Like I know uh, our CEO said, you got to have a camera on when COVID hit. You do a Google Meet, you got to have a camera on. That was the policy. And we work with lots of companies. And there's one company in particular we're working with right now. They never have their camera on. And because those two cultures don't line up, how, how do you know what's being done on the other side? How if you can't see it? So what, have you, do you have any tips on that? Yeah, I mean, listen, video can be a double-edged uh, sword, right? So so on the one hand, it's good because it builds a little bit more intimacy and cohesion because you get to pick up on facial expressions and you get to see what someone's actually saying or thinking maybe if they're not talking. Uh, on the other hand, we went through a phase of what's called video fatigue. So meaning people just behind their desks for hours on time and feeling like they have to put on a, on a face and, and just sort of constantly concentrating on their screen, which could lead to burnout. Um, so there is a fine balance. And one way to kind of counterbalance that negative effect is to say, well, you know, a staff call every week let's have video on every other week, right? So kind of spread it, spread it out a little bit where it, you, know, you, you might have a walking meeting maybe on the days where video can be turned off and that could incentivize a little bit of the uh, exercise aspect of things. Um, but the, the key, George, is to make sure that you have a conscious hybrid work policy in place, meaning you can't just leave it up to, well, we'll see how it goes or 
um, you know, what the norm is and kind of just gravitate towards that. Uh, set it up, have the, have the feedback from your employees, uh, understand what their needs are um, and define it, right? Kind of put it out there and say, hey, you know, video can maybe ter- be turned on for the first 15 or 20 minutes off of one hour call. Uh, and then unless you're um, not, uh, unless you're presenting, you don't need to have it on, right? I mean, there's so much work you can do with that as long as you have it documented somewhere and posted. You know, I was was reading through your manuscript and also I've been experiencing hybrid. Um, and, you know, it's kind of one of those, those things that everybody's experiencing this. We all have our opinions. Um, and some people's opinion are, I want to work remote because it's easier. I want to work remote because, I, you know, I can com- communicate with people all over the world and I don't have the commute. And, you know, they really see it as being easier but in order to truly do hybrid, when I read through your book, it talks about you've got to put the effort in to over-communicate. To me, that doesn't seem easier because if I'm right in a room with somebody, I just walk over, punch them in the shoulder, then we, get, we, you know, we dig into the, into the thing we're discussing. So now you're saying if we want to be effective with this, we have to over-communicate. But there's a huge risk if you don't do that, I understand. Absolutely. I mean, the, the challenge is that with remote employees, they tend to be very siloed in nature where everyone is working on their own thing. And this transactional feature easily leads to isolationism, right? So this whole out of sight, out of mind thing kicks in. And what happens is that managers who are on site with other employees usually have more information about what those employees are working on because to your point, they can just walk over, they bump into each other during the, you know, in, in the water cooler or the hallway. And so what you want to do as a manager and a leader is to keep track of what your team is working on and over-communicate with them for extra visibility, right? So you don't want your team, especially your remote team, to feel like they're in the dark. Um, So checking in uh, with them frequently by over-communicating with them about what they're doing is important so that they feel as supported as other on-site team members. And and I want to reiterate something that I hope people are getting. This isn't just in your own company. This is, if we're working with a prospect or a customer, you, you got to get good at this stuff because it's not going away. Like there will be customers, uh, you know, of course, CFOs are loving this because there's not as much travel. We got less people on planes. We're saving money. But it also is you got to meet your customer where they are. And there may be organizations that you just can't get in the same room with, or maybe you can once, but you've got to drive a project forward and that's all going to happen online. So, you know, I think that there was a catalyst when we had COVID, everybody had to get used to this thing. Some people think they can go back to the way that it's, it used to be, but it, it's never going to go back to, to where it's all face to face like that. Things are just moving forward. So now I'd love to talk about how to run a hybrid meeting effectively, because you've got this nailed down. In the, uh, in the manuscript, in the upcoming book, and everybody is struggling with this. So if you would be so kind, what are your four tips on how to run hybrid meetings effectively? Yeah, absolutely. So um, one of the main activities that you'll spend a lot of time on when managing your hybrid team is meetings, of course, right? So a few tips that will help you out. The first is to conduct all meetings online. And what I mean by that is that all team meetings should be conducted as if everyone is remote, including your on-site employees. And this is in line with a concept called remote first, where you default to remote on everything, right? Um, so asking everyone to turn on cameras uh, really helps. I know we just talked about that. So you kind of think about the balance there. Uh, but if you have a conference, if you have a large team and you're in a conference room with 15 people and then 30 other people have dialed in, 
then it's also a good idea to share the video feed of your remote participants on the conference room screen to make them uh, all feel like everyone's connected, right? So that's one tip there. Another idea behind conducting meetings online is to mix up your breakout groups. So a lot of times, especially with, with training, for example, uh, and you need to have like breakout sessions for brainstorming, the tendency is to have groups in the, uh, in the office huddled together and those who are remote huddled together as well. And while that might make sense uh, from a logistics standpoint, you want to think about inclusion by mixing up both groups, right? So maybe have a couple of folks who are remote, a couple who are in the office kind of uh, conduct their own breakout session uh, to, to, to mix it up a little bit. So that's one of the tips, conducting all meetings online. Uh, another is to batch your meetings. So what you want to do is schedule meetings that require face-to-face -face coordination on the same day or two in the office. And the goal here is to maximize the benefits of the team being together in the office for your meetings. So one thing that's kind of tongue-in-cheek is that you don't want someone to drive and commute all the way into the office and spend the day on WebEx or Zoom, right? Like that's not really a hybrid model of work that's just forcing people to the office for the sake of forcing them. So by scheduling maybe weekly or biweekly, even open office hours, uh, with options of on-site and online, uh, you can use those for non-urgent interruptions and then kind of build that relationship uh, with people, right? So I really like, I'm a big fan, uh, George, of having one-on-one uh, -on -one discussions in person if possible, because that's where you get the maximum return uh, on investment of your hybrid model. No, and th those are great, great insights, Hassan, on just basic little things that could make people feel a lot more close to the organization. And you've got a great idea around including team building. Like what, why stop doing team building? Yeah, exactly. I mean, I think I'm a big fan of team building. I know even pre COVID organization use organizations used to spend hundreds of thousands of dollars on team building activities, offsites, uh, excursions, things that bring the team together and make them collaborate and coordinate uh, a lot more effectively, and most importantly, build trust, right? And those informal interactions in the office, um, including like drop-in and water cooler conversations, uh, used to lead to higher cohesion and intimacy. And we lost a lot of that during COVID because everyone was remote and it was very transactional. So you want to um, you know, focus on those team-building activities by creating dedicated uh, uh, um, sort of fun uh, outings or what have you that enable those moments of engagement to develop relationships. And you can do this online or offline. So it works in a hybrid model, right? So offline, keep doing team excursions. Make sure that when everyone comes into the office, have those uh, you know, free pizza lunches, maybe do some community giving or volunteering, or maybe escape rooms and team challenges. And then with online, when you've got long stretches of time where everyone's sort of remote, Maybe come up with uh, trivia or charades games or virtual coffee breaks, which are like 15-minute check-ins uh, every other day. And you can come in and talk about the latest Netflix movie that you watched, right? Anything unrelated to work. So anything like that, uh, George, I'm a big fan of because it actually does 
linked to increasing productivity at, at work. No, I love that. We just recently acquired the Calendar Hero organization a few months back, and they they had a, a virtual water cooler event once a week where you couldn't talk about business. It was all about what was going on in your life. You know, that water cooler discussion that you would have that usually doesn't talk about the project. There's one you have one warning that, that I want to make sure that I don't miss in your tips, and that is be, be aware of those offline meetings that are happening. And, and if you didn't include every, there's a big risk there, isn't there? Yeah, I'm glad you brought that up. So what happens is that important decisions are sometimes made in the office without the input or approval of remote team members. And so what you want to do is you want to set guidelines and protocols that help keep remote uh, employees informed and included in offline decisions. Uh, and one simple way to do that is to use a common tool for documenting and approving decisions, right? So what you don't wanna have is John and Mary bump into each other in, in the hallway and say, hey, you remember that thing we talked about? Let's just move forward with option B. And they leave uh, you know, the, the remote team members uninformed. Whereas if you have a centralized common tool for documenting and approving those decisions, it doesn't have to be anything fancy. It could be any even just group chat system. Um, then by forcing that, you're defaulting to a remote first culture, which helps uh, with uh, with offline decisions and moving them to to online ones. No, I love that. And and uh, I've I've been involved in organizations that didn't use a decision log. And uh, you're right. It can be a very simple process. And and even if you're not doing remote, I'm just, even if you're making any decision, just to know we made this decision on this day at this time with these people present, um, just having that can can be very, very powerful. But um, what, you're, what you're highlighting is one of the big struggles of remote is the meeting after the meeting that happened in the hallway and they made a decision and the rest of the people feel left out. And that, that's really going to hurt that uh, hybrid model. So we went through the two steps around phase three in your plan of managing your hybrid team. But I, I always like to give the guest the last word. What of all the analysis you've done when you were putting together the, the book and getting this thing ready to release, is there any silver bullet out there that you're just like, this is one thing you just have to do? Yes, uh, I love that question. And here's a takeaway. It's not so much what to do, but what to think. No one has figured this out yet. And so you have to think about an iterative process, meaning you're not going to get this right the first time around. You're going to have to analyze this. You're going to plan for it. You're going to manage it. Then you're going to evaluate. So you're going to think through whether this worked or not. But then after you evaluate, you go back, you reiterate the process and go back to analyzing because you're not going to get this right the first time. Everyone's still learning and no one has a silver, silver bullet as of this date. And, and is it fair to say, Hassan, that the, the reason nobody's got a silver bullet is every situation is a little bit different? Absolutely. I think there's even within the same organization, there is no one size fits all, right? There's no way that you're going to have team A follow exactly the same protocol as team B because they have different needs and they have different customer needs. So you have to balance all of that. Yeah, and we have our internal teams. Everybody operates a little bit different. We can get to some level of commonality. That would be cool. But to just know that no one has this figured out, constantly iterating, we're all trying to get it right, and then it's going to be different, that actually 
helps my anxiety when it comes to, to hybrid <laughs> meeting because we're you know we're not alone. Everybody is in the middle of figuring that out, and and your analysis has has shown that. So th- thanks for sharing that, Hassan. We really appreciate your learnings that you've brought to us. And if people want to reach out to you, um, and you know you have the business work that you're doing, we talked about that off the top. But if they want to consume this hobby that's driving your wife nuts, but is very very valuable, how can they get more Hassan Osman? Thanks uh, for asking, George. So it's thecouchmanager.com, all one word. Um, This is my blog where I write about uh, management topics. My books are listed there. I'm on social media. My LinkedIn links are there. My email's there. So simply go to thecouchmanager.com and um, I'd be super uh, uh, interested in connecting with you. Excellent. And our team's going to put that link into the show notes so that uh, everybody can uh, get connected with you and, and also follow you on LinkedIn and, and just start to uh, learn more about the great material that you've been producing. Hassan, thanks for sharing with us today on the Conquer Local podcast. Thank you so much. I really enjoyed this. One of the biggest struggles that all of us are facing right now is this new hybrid remote live and what it all means and how to do it better. And, you know, it's great hearing from an expert like Hassan that this is an iterative process that no one's figured out yet. That actually makes me feel better because uh, sometimes you're sitting there going, well, how the heck do we make this work? And some great takeaways from the episode, you know, this, this gent, he is super sharp writing these short books for busy managers. I'm like, I wish more people would do this. TLDR, too long, didn't read. Give me the, give me right to the meat. And if you ever read through one of these pieces of prose, you're going to find that Hassan cuts to the chase. And I love that. There's two sides of the coin when it comes to virtual meetings. Building that intimacy and cohesion virtually is a bit of an art. You're going to learn how to do it. And remember, there's video fatigue. And I don't mean on a Netflix and chill for two days of the weekend. I'm talking about when you're at work, and you're on Zoom meetings over and over and over again, it wears you out. It wears you down. And um, it's leading to that burnout. And we're not having effective meetings. And then what happens is our remote workers start to not feel included. They start to miss out on the decision-making process. They feel like second-class citizens in your organization. And that's not going to work out when we're building a team and we want to have that team to be cohesive. If you take a remote first approach, according to Hassan, to all meetings, then the remote workers will feel included. And you know, the other thing that I found to be really effective, and and I get to do this because I'm on the road, so I'm that remote individual on a lot of calls, come back and communicate to the team in the boardroom and say, hey, have you ever dialed into one of our meetings and see how horrible it is for the remote people? And just get them reminded that there's a whole bunch of other people there that need to feel like they're a part of the process. And of the steps that Hassan has outlined in his four-phase approach when it comes to managing the hybrid team, a lot of it is around how do you conduct those meetings effectively. And I love the idea of the offline decision-making. You got to be aware that those things happen. And how do we loop everybody in to make them feel like they're a part of that decision-making process? If you liked Hassan's episode discussing managing a hybrid team, let's continue this conversation. Check out episode 333, Onboarding a Remote Workforce, with my good friend Tricia Score, who leads all of Microsoft business sales in the Scandinavian countries. Or episode 407, 10 Tips for Remote Selling with the Master Sales Training Series. Please subscribe and leave us a review. 
and thanks for joining us this week on the Conquer Local podcast. My name is George Leith. I'll see you when I see you. You've been listening to the Conquer Local podcast presented by Vendasta. Guest discovery by Zoe Schneider. Marketing by Rory Lawford and Nicole Lozon. Produced by Suleiman Adam. Executive producers Brendan King, George Leith and Colleen McGrath. Recorded at Sound Lounge by T-Bone.